Hi, and welcome back to NFL Junkie, the official NFL podcast of USA Today Sports. I'm Chris D'Amico, the NFL editor at USA Today. I'm joined again by Tom Pelissero, the national NFL writer at USA Today. We took last week off for the election, and I guess actually we were just waiting for Tony Romo's concession speech before we came back. Um... You saw Dallas on Sunday. We can talk about them. You were at the Dallas-Pittsburgh game. And let's start with Tony Romo for anyone that doesn't know. Tony read a statement, took no questions on Tuesday, said it was Dak's team, blah, 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 blah. So an orderly transition in Dallas, it seems. It was unusual, uh, I would say that, and from everything that I've heard, nobody in Dallas knew that Romo was just going to get up there and read a statement. They thought that it was, and they announced it just as he was going to be available to the media. Uh, you certainly could see on on Tony's face that this was not what he wanted to be doing, but I, I listened to particularly the end of that speech and talking about how there's greatness in being a you know part of a great team and doing what's best for the team, and I, I walked away from that thinking, you know, I hope every youth and high school athlete in America listens to those words because that that is the most important thing. You don't get you know, all the time the the scenario that's most beneficial to you. You know, there's two things you can do: you can pout about it and whine about it, or you can accept the fact that. Somebody's playing their ass off right now. They deserve to be on the football field. And that's what I saw in the locker room after the game out in Pittsburgh. And, you know, watching Tony Romo talking with Stephen Jones, Jerry's son, the uh, the executive for the Cowboys. And all of a sudden, Dak walked over. And Tony just, he had this look on his face where he was nodding as, as Stephen and Dak were talking. And it just was, you know, that to me was just, that was the perfect portrait of Tony knew at that moment. The moment that Dak leads that comeback in Pittsburgh. There was no opening anymore. This was not, okay, how long can he hold on to the job? This was, you know, Dak has, has really won the job at this point. You never know what's going to happen with injuries. You never know what's going to happen in terms of Dak at some point going through a rough stretch. And we've been talking about that throughout the course of the entire season here. Every quarterback, young quarterback, struggles at some point. But Dak has done Honestly, as good a job as any rookie quarterback in my memory covering the league in avoiding that real rough patch. And that's why I asked Dak after the game. I, I said to him, you know, you're you're eight and one as a starting quarterback. Do you know that that's not normal? And he said, I, I don't know what's normal and abnormal, I guess. And that's true. He's playing like it. He's playing like a guy who just figures, all right, I'm in the NFL now. Might as well. Keep doing what I did in college, which is go out there, make plays, and win football games. So even so, Romo is coming back. He'll be the backup. I mean, this this, this really is going to be Dak's team. I mean, this won't be a quick hook at all. You get the feeling, you know. There's no. I don't think the spring added pressure to Dak. Do you Do you agree? I don't yeah, think I don't think I don't think the pressure goes up anymore now. I mean, if there wasn't pressure the past few weeks when it was Romo's almost ready to play, I mean, the guy was a Romo was a full participant in practice last week, and Dak went out and played one of the finest games you're ever going to see a, a rookie quarterback play, and that's despite taking the strip sack early on what looked like a protection issue, and he did miss some throws. You got into the fourth quarter and just he 
he just kept making plays one after another and then into overtime. And they were coming at him in that game. The Steelers' plan, it was very obvious, which was third down. We're going to rush five. We're going to rush six. We're going to get in your face. They had the same thing on the final drive. That was not... You know, unlike the previous week when I was at the Vikings Lions game and the Vikings sat back in a prevent defense, three man rush and let Matthew Stafford get a couple of chunk yardage plays to get him in position for a field goal. The Steelers came after Dak. They were blitzing him on that final drive. You know, the throw that he makes to Witten around midfield where he's got, you know, I think at least one rush, maybe two coming through the line. He's about to get hit, gets rid of the football and puts it on a guy who has somebody in his hip pocket. You know, the only place where, you know, Witten could catch it and the other guy couldn't. I mean, that's just, that's next level stuff. It, it's been pretty fantastic to watch. And so I think just logically, yeah, if, they, if the Cowboys lose three games in a row or something, you could see them making a change. But, you know, look at the upcoming schedule. Do you see them losing three in a row? I, I think they're just going to keep this thing rolling. Uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think they are well headed to be the top seed. In the NFC, and then we will see where it goes from there. On the other side of that coin of the game you were at, uh, impressions of the Steelers? Offensively, they did what I thought that they were going to do. I, I thought that this was a game that really tilted in their favor from a matchup perspective. Uh, they didn't, you know, the Cowboys really didn't have an answer for the Steelers receivers other than just keep grabbing them. I mean, they got away with some some defensive holding penalties and pass interference that just didn't get called. But I mean, what did, what did the Steelers put up? Four hundred forty odd yards, of which they had almost four hundred of those before that last little, you know lateral type of play that they ran and Antonio Brown ran out of bounds for some reason. They put up 30 points. They did benefit from a short field on the early strip sack and a, a punt return that got him to around midfield. But the, the Steelers still put points on the board. I, I still think that Pittsburgh is a team that's just going to need to do what they did offensively. And they've got to find a way to be better defensively. That, that's been one of the big issues for them through the course of the season. I, I think the biggest issue. The offense has been too inconsistent. But you're not just going to go through an offense and be or for, through a season and be bad when you've got Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown. It's just not going to happen. It's kind of the same reason right now that I sit back and as much as everybody's panicking about the state of the Vikings, I still think that they're a playoff team. Because I think the defense just is going to regress to the mean, and in this case, progress to the mean. They're going to be they're going to get back to being a really, really good, solid defense. Pittsburgh's going to be back to being a really good, solid offense. And I think that they showed that against Dallas, which has some issues defensively. That lack of pass rush and what happens, what they've got in the secondary when Orlando Skandrick's not on the field is is a little bit scary if you're not able to play your type of game. You know, Prescott and, and Elliott bailed them out with da- with Dallas. It's just going to be. The offense is going to have to drive them every single week this season. With Pittsburgh, it's going to have to be the offense that drives them every single week this season. Uh, And with a team like Minnesota, it's going to have to be the defense coming back because they've got one of the biggest handicaps for any team in the league right now, which is just their offensive line has nobody, and they've got to find a way to overcome that every time out. Uh, The Vikings' defense has fallen the last couple weeks. Not fallen, but... Uh, right, they're not playing exactly. They're not playing as well as they could. It, it's like watching the Steelers' offense go out and score 15 points, and you're sitting back going, "When you get that much talent, how the hell are you not more productive than that?" I think that there's a lot of different moving parts to that. The Vikings have had some key players nicked up. Eric Kendricks missed some time. You know that that's a, a key guy to that defense. I think there's other players who just aren't having a good season. 
I mean, Anthony Barr, I know that I, I asked Mike Zimmer about him last week, and, and Zimmer kind of defended him, say he's, saying he's playing well. If you watch Barr, I, I feel as if teams are going after him. You know, they're fine isolating him in coverage. Um, he's not, Barr has not been that productive in the pass rush phase. I, I just, teams seem to be running at him, you know, daring him to make a play, and he's just not. I, I don't think that he's had a good season at all, and that's one of those young players that you needed to, take that next step forward. Harrison Smith, who in my mind is one of the best safeties in the league. I think he's having another good year, but he misses a tackle at the end of the Lions game after Xavier Rhodes goes for the kill shot and totally whiffs on Golden Tate. Uh, there's just there's things that aren't quite fitting in place, but Zimmer as a defensive coach is one of the best that there is. They do have talent, even though it's still young talent, and that goes back to something we were talking about at the beginning of the season, which was in comparing teams like Seattle and Minnesota. They both, if you're just talking about you know, talent, they're both up there with the best in the league. The difference is what you're seeing right now, which is the Vikings have young talent, which is going to be more prone to inconsistency, and you can't be entirely certain who is going to take that next step forward this year, whereas the Seahawks has guys in their prime. And so even when they're missing one of their best players in Michael Bennett over the past few weeks, they can go into New England, make a bunch of plays. You know, you have that Seattle offense, which also has some guys in their prime like Doug Baldwin and Jimmy Graham and Russell Wilson is coming into that too. Uh, they're, they're starting to look like a, a force to be reckoned with as well. Uh, an important stretch here, getting back to the Vikings just real quick. They have Arizona this week and then what has turned into a big Thanksgiving Day game uh, at Detroit. Uh, and then host host the Cowboys. So it's a huge stretch, and it was, and that really extended back to last week when they played Washington. If you looked at it, you'd say that, you know this four game stretch is probably kind of going to decide their season here. Uh, they're zero one in that stretch so far. Um, yeah, big, big ones the next uh, two of them in five days with Arizona. You know, Arizona's become a more physical team. They're going to come in and try to pound it with David Johnson and the Vikings, and you know, Linville Joseph is going to have to lead the charge. They can't let the Cardinals beat him running the ball. Seahawks and Patriots, you touched on the Seahawks a little bit. Uh, another fine game we got to witness uh, on Sunday. We finally saw some, we finally saw some good nationally televised games uh, this weekend. Uh as you mentioned, Seahawks seem to be just following their script. <laughs> it's November. They're starting to play well. We'll see we'll see them in January. They're they're doing what they do every year under Pete Carroll. I remember I wrote about it at the end, you know, about about this time, maybe a little bit later than this last season when they were starting to show those signs. It's just the way that they're built programmatically and the way that they play young players and the way that they practice, uh, the way they run the, the entire program, they just do a lot of different things that have them ready to play their best football at the end of the year. But let's also make no mistake, a big part of the reason that they're playing so much better now than a few weeks ago when people are panicking is Russell Wilson's getting healthier. He's looked, you know, not even incrementally, but substantially better from the Arizona tie game and then how he looked in New Orleans and now how he's looking when he goes into New England. He's still not Russell Wilson. He's still not opening it up and running the way that he did, but his functional mobility to get in and out of the pocket that he just didn't have in some of those games like against the Jets and against the Cardinals, he's got that back now. So the more that he becomes closer to what he normally is as an athlete, uh, the better that team's going to become. And it's you start to look at it. And then they're getting Thomas Rawls back, who I know they think can be a difference maker. You saw C.J. Procise, a young guy, make some plays against the Patriots. 
you start to look at it, and this is why I picked the Seahawks from the start of the season to win the Super Bowl. Just in terms of talent across the board, if you're adding it up, difference makers on any roster in the league, I don't think that you count a higher total anywhere than Seattle. On the other side of that ball is at least a reminder that the Patriots can lose a game every once in a while. Uh, is there so then? So obviously, every time you lose, you know the world is ending and and all that stuff. Uh, and people are questioning their front seven on defense. Uh, is that a weakness for them? The, the I don't think defense? it's a I don't think it's a weakness. I think that you're starting to see the reasons that I was and am baffled about trading away Jamie Collins. Even if you don't think that guy's going to be a part of your future, you could let him walk and get a conditional pick in 2018. Instead, you try to you, you trade him for a conditional pick in 2017, which is, you know, if you go with the the way the teams think about it, a, you know, It's a one-round difference between getting that pick a year out. A pick next year is more of a fourth-round pick versus a third-round pick. But there's still, you know, end-around conditional thirds for a guy who was the best defensive player they had, or most talented anyway. He's, in my mind, Jamie Collins is, or at least can be, a top-10 defensive player in the entire league. I, I, I understand that the Patriots make, these decisions and Bill Belichick does not get questioned like everybody else. He's he's earned that because he's won four Super Bowls. But this one just left me totally confused because Collins is somebody who he's a chess piece in that defense. You know, talking to coaches about who have faced the Patriots, they talk about the fact that this is a guy who he can blitz, he can cover, he can play the run, he can do everything. They can move him around, play him in a bunch of different spots. You don't know where he's going to be. That allows you to create mismatches. Who are you creating mismatches with now? You know, Jabal Sheard uh, is another guy who they can move around, but he's not Jamie Collins. Uh, you know, Dante Hightower is a good, solid linebacker, but he's a linebacker. You, you basically know what he's going to be, you know, more or less what his role is going to be. Certainly Belichick and, and Matt Patricia are as creative as anybody, but Collins was that, that X factor in the defense. All right, if he's freelancing too much, if he's not playing the defense the way it's called and he's exposing you to big plays – Get him to knock it off. Don't trade the guy away to Cleveland for a conditional third. That one just – that one I'm not – I don't. I don't understand. It might work out fine for them. They might end up winning the Super Bowl, and and like everybody else, like a lot of these moves, I'll sit back and go, "Oh, Belichick knew what he was doing." But on the on the surface, right now, and this is not hindsight. This is foresight. This is what I tweeted at the time. I I'm baffled by 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 that move. And he's got quite the well. A relatively competitive AFC to get out of. The AFC West is very interesting. Uh, yeah, although I still think the Patriots are better than those teams. I don't think that – no, not substantially. But if the Patriots can get a bye and if they can have one of those teams come in, um, you know, the top seed, that's going to be important because I think facing the Patriots in Foxborough is a lot different than facing the Patriots in Oakland or in Denver – or Kansas City, I, di- I just think it's it's a different sort of proposition, even more than most teams. In part because of the elements, You're, you know, you might get snow in Kansas City, but it, it's not going to be you know the bitter cold that you get necessarily uh, out in Foxborough. So, 
you know, but matchup wise, I still think the Patriots are the most talented team. I think offensively, they got a ton of weapons, you know, depending what goes on now going forward with Rob Gronkowski. Because if you remember last year, it was right about this time. They lost Edelman in week 10. They lost Gronk in week 12. They lost four out of their last six regular season games, and that forced them to go into Denver for the AFC title game. They had other stuff going on. Their offensive line was decimated at the time. They were, they lost Deion Lewis. You know, they were shorthanded at running back, but, You've got to finish strong. I think that that showed it a year ago because if Denver has to go into New England and Peyton's got to play, uh, you know, out there, it's it's just it's a different scenario when you when you think back on it. They let's talk. We we haven't talked about the Chiefs much. Um, they're obviously for real. <laughs> the 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 AFC West. I mean, are the Chiefs a Super Bowl contender though? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think that they don't have the quarterback that the Patriots do. I don't even think that they got the quarterback that the Raiders do right now because Derek Carr is has been really impressive and give Bill Musgrave and company credit for that out there in Oakland, working with a young quarterback who regressed the second half of last season, getting him to play a lot better football now. But, yeah, I don't think I, you, you can look at Kansas City and say they're not a contender. They just, you know, they don't have – any sex appeal about him whatsoever. I mean, your quarterback's Alex Smith. Jamal Charles is hurt. Jeremy Macklin hasn't done anything. You got Travis Kelsey. The biggest highlight he made all year is chucking his gloves at the or chucking his towel at the official. Uh, defensively, your best player Justin Houston hasn't played. Marcus Peters uh, is one heck of a the real uh, deal isn't player it? <laughs> out there in, in Kansas City. You know, with uh, it was funny. I was talking to a. Uh, I can't remember if it was a scout or an agent who was out at University of Washington uh, last last week for the game, and you know was saying, "Yeah, they got a bunch of guys out here. You know, a bunch of really good players are going to be drafted." I'm like, "Well, hopefully they don't throw them off the team like Marcus Peters. You know, Peters got tossed for insubordination basically. And when I, you know, when I went out there had sushi with Marcus out in in uh, Carlsbad before the draft, and he was like, "Yeah, I would have thrown me off the team too." He, he knew he screwed up. He knew he did a bunch of stuff." wrong denied that he ever physically assaulted a coach which was one thing reported but there was never any doubt about how good of a player marcus peters was he ends up falling to the chiefs they took a they took a swing on you know what would be loosely termed a character risk in the middle of the first round and they've got one of the best corners going in the league certainly one of the most impactful when you look at the interception numbers so far uh, over the course of Marcus Peters' career, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, what do you? Uh, I'm not saying they don't have good players. You got Eric Berry, he's a good, solid player, and Derek Johnson, and and some of those other guys, but they're not, you know, superstars. They're not, you know, what what I would term to be difference makers, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. They're just they're well coached. I think that Bob Sutton does a good job on the defensive side. I think Andy Reid has shown over, you know, going back to the 1999 in Philadelphia, what he is as a head coach. Everybody's going to have some ebbs and flows, um, but that guy's program has been pretty consistent, and and they're just they just keep finding ways to roll right now. Well under the radar so far. Uh, all right, we are going to close with the big news out of L.A. that we will finally get to see Jared Goff. Uh, Jeff Fisher on Monday said that he was the second, still the second team quarterback, slept on it, and announced yesterday that he will start. Good timing about when you thought this would happen? Depends on how he plays. 
Honestly, uh, if this is the owner or this is fear of the fan base or fear they're losing their jobs, if they're playing Jared Goff for any reason right now other than they think he's ready to play, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Honestly, I, I understand that people you know, are, have been freaking out about why isn't the guy playing? How can you play Case Keenum? It's a very simple reason for it. You gave up a ton for Jared Goff, and if – this is a guy who just, if your your thought was, let's give him a redshirt year, or he needs a redshirt year, and then instead he's playing the last seven games and he's terrible and it scars him. You know, now what have you done? The, the rant, I mean, for for all we know, they may be in a spot where they feel like we better show that this guy can play, or we're all going to get fired. Those are the decisions that sometimes drive these things, and they can be dangerous decisions. They can put quarterbacks and other people in positions where. They're destined to fail, and I'm not saying that's the case with Goff, but my suspicions are raised when you get all the way to week 11, and then you got Fisher coming out and saying he's still the number two, and then magically the next morning uh, he's the number one. Things like that put off the bells in my head that these might not be decisions that are being made strictly based on what gives us the best chance to win and what is best for the young player. Goff might come out and absolutely light it up, that would surprise me. If he does okay, that would be a sign of relief to me because it shows that you know he's not going to go out there and just get his brain beat in. But tell me this. On offense, what do the Rams do well? They don't run it well. They don't seem to have any identity. You know, They get into a goal line situation. Gurley never touches the ball. That was unbelievable. Uh, their receivers aren't very good. Tavon Austin is a chess piece that they're trying to make into a fully dimensional receiver, which he's not. There's just there are so many things when you when you list them off that are just not quite right there. Maybe Goff gives them that lift, but you know my exposure to him. The, put it this way: everybody wants to debate should Goff be playing, should he not? The only people who have the information to make that decision are the coaches who watch him every day in practice. The media is not there during the substantive portions of practice. We don't get to see anything. What we have is limited game film from the preseason. And, you know, some of the training camp that reporters out there got to watch. That's it. That's all you've got on Goff. So my expo- last exposure to Goff was the preseason finale up here in Minneapolis, which I got dragged out to a fourth preseason game because Teddy Bridgewater had just wrecked his knee two days earlier. And, and I watched Goff, and, you know, he was fumbling snaps from center, and he was missing throws, and he, he did not look ready. Now he's playing with, you know, not necessarily the, the exact same coterie of players that he's going to be playing with on Sunday. Uh, it's preseason football. It's a little bit different. But if that's the guy who's out there on Sunday, you know, we might be sitting back Sunday night going, why did the Rams play him? You hope it's not that for the kid and for everybody else involved. You know, I do think that there are, they've got some positive things happening, uh, in Los Angeles. I do think that the pieces are there on defense to win. I think that Curley is a heck of a player, but the Rams don't know what they are offensively right now. And I don't know that plopping in a, a spread offense quarterback who you gave up the house for and didn't play until week 11 is necessarily going to be the magic elixir that gets everything headed the right way. I'm a Jeff Fisher fan, but I mean, just like you say, you don't, you don't You're one of the last ones you, left. I, 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 well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to hurt my knees jumping off that bandwagon though. Uh, I agree. You don't know what this team is, <laughs> you know, but you should too. With the yeah. way that they're constructed personnel-wise, you should know exactly what the team is. Exactly. And I get it. Listen, I'm not saying 
You know, I'm not in the, oh, how can you not give the ball to Marshawn Lynch three times on the goal line camp? These coaches study this stuff, okay? Like, they study the tendencies. They know what the defense is going to do. It's matchup-based. Sometimes you're throwing on a designed run play. I haven't gone back through and watched all the tape. I just know that they have not gotten Todd Gurley going, and that guy had to be. If you were going to play with Case Keenum and win with Case Keenum, Gurley had to be the focal point of your offense, and they just they haven't been an effective running football team. So what are you? One more on Gurley. He... I've seen in some quarters he's getting criticized that maybe he's not what we thought he was. Um, I haven't honestly, I haven't studied him enough. enough to yeah, really me neither. Make that judgment. I, but I know what he was last year. I mean, last year he was in the conversation. I can't remember. Did he win rookie? I think he won rookie of the year. I didn't vote for him. Uh, I voted for James Winston based on people I had talked to in the league, but that would had nothing to do with how good Gurley was. I mean, the guy is an absolute stud as an athlete. You know, as he regressed in certain ways, there's more to running back than just being a really good athlete. Ask Kristen Michael, who got cut out in Seattle yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, is Gurley – is he taking the next step? It's, it's just – it's hard to say. I mean, think about it this way. If you're a defense playing the Rams – don't you just go, let's play 10 in the box this week. Right. Let's just see if Case Keenum can throw the ball down the field. Everything is geared to stopping Todd Gurley because there's nothing else you fear on the offense. And that's where all this stuff is contextual. It's hard for me to sit back without watching every one of his snaps and say, how much of this is Todd Gurley's fault? I just think that programmatically, philosophically, uh, the Rams are in a really confused spot right now. Uh, and they were going to have – you know, issues out of the gate playing with Case Keenum just because, yeah, they won with him at the end of last season, but he is and always will be a physically limited quarterback. All right. Uh, we thank you for joining us, Tom. Tom is headed to Seattle this week uh, to see those Seahawks. Uh, I'm sure we will talk more about them next week. Uh, they play the Eagles in, and I mean it this season, the highly competitive NFC East, even though – Dallas might be running away a little. Um, follow Tom in USA Today and at usatoday.com. We will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us.